0: God. Wow. God. if you listen to it, I am not all millennial. I am pre millennial. I've been that uh, once since I was just a kid. Okay, let me get into this. Uh, Well, let me just start with a story. I, I once heard of a man this for the next marriage yeah. So what's the, really, and, and as I got into this and really saw this, what it was, and so I'm finishing up, this is Marriage 101, and I've done I when I had five or six sermons on this, and so now i am finished up today on this. So what is the purpose of marriage? And so I, 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 want, I want you to turn with me, if you will, I'm going to read several verses, I'll turn with me, first, the first Peter chapter 3, and we're going to read verses 1 through 7, and then... What it says in 1 Peter. It says, Wives, likewise, be submissive to your own husbands. That even if some do not obey the word, they without the word may be won by the conduct of their wives. And when they observe their chast conduct accompanied by fear, do not let your adornment be, adornment be merely outward, arranging the hair, wearing gold, and putting on fine apparel. Rather let it be with a hidden person of the heart, with the, the incorruptible beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which is very precious this manner in the former times the holy women who trusted God also adorned themselves being submissive to their own husbands as Sarah obeyed Abraham calling him Lord whose daughters you are if you do good and are not afraid with any terror verse 7 husbands likewise dwell with them with understanding giving honor to the wife and as to the weaker vessel as being heirs together of the grace of life that your prayers may not be hindered. Finally be of one man Submitting to one another in the fear of God. Wives, submit to your own husbands, as unto the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, and also Christ. should she be holy without blimber. So husbands ought to love their own wives as their own body. He who loves his wife loves himself. For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourished and it just as the Lord does in the church. For we are members of his body, of his flesh, and of his bones. For this reason a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to the wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This is a great mystery. marriage is one when each partner secretly suspects that they got the better deal. We always hold hands, one man said. We always hold hands, so if I let her, get, if I let her go, she shot us. Some mornings I wake up grouchy, one man said, and some mornings I just let her sleep." My wife told me the other day that Ziegler said, many marriages would be better off if their husband and wife clearly understood that they're on the same side. A great marriage is not where the perfect couple comes together. It is when the imperfect couple learns to enjoy one another's difference. When you love a person, you love a person as to who they are, not who you would like them to be. So what's the purpose? one, the purpose of marriage is companionship. Remember Genesis 2.14, God said that it was not good that Adam was alone, that man should be alone, And, and that He said, I will make him a helper, compatible to him, and thus the word helpmate came alone. God created a mate for Adam to take care of the loneliness in his life. book of Amos, he says, can two walk together except they be agreed. That means valuing the other person, and you demonstrate that by listening without interrupting, That's the first thing need to do, but listening without interrupting, because you value what you're demonstrating is that you value their opinion. So the first thing about marriage, the first purpose of marriage is, is companionship. Here's the second thing, enjoyment. Enjoy one another behind enjoyment is self-control. This is what it says over in Hebrews 13.4. Marriage is honorable among all, and the bed under file. But fornicators and adulterers, God will judge. What's he saying? He says that you, share, that you share without pretending you enjoy one another company. It means you're a constant companion with one another. And what that means is it means that you find common interest so you can be together say it again. You find common interests to one another so you can be together. I find one of the major problems when couples come to me and want to talk to me about some of the marital problems that they're facing is one of just the simple, basic thing. They don't spend time together. They just don't get together. They don't spend time together. And so what that means is, it means to you guys, that means that you've got to set through this. you got to go to the chick flick every now and then. you got to. I mean, she may have to drag you there, but really you ought to go openly and willingly. Why? Because the whole key to this is you're wanting to share things with her. You're wanting to be with her. And ladies, it may mean that you've got to step through a football game and watch a football game with you. That's what it means. And what's the whole purpose? See, part of the success of marriage is recognizing moments where your spouse needs you. Those moments slip up on you. It's just recognizing when your spouse really does need you and it just wants to be close to you. Don't sabotage those moments. Don't sabotage those times by doing something or saying something that they feel they're wasting, that you're wasting your time with them or go with them or whatever. Don't do that. Spend time with one another. Be aware of those things that will come and invade and take that time away. Well, how erosion in a marriage doesn't just come all at once. It it just gradually happens through little things or little habits or things until the next thing you know, you're so far apart, you don't know how in the world you're going to get back. third thing, completeness. God designed Eve complete. He designed Eve so to complete that which was lacking in Adam's life. Your wife is in your life to do this, to make up for your shortcomings. To to give you in such a way that, that to complete you. Not just Tom Cruise saying you completely, but it really means Designed for Adam to complete what was lacking in Eve's life. That's what he does. So a man is to love his wife the way that Christ loved the church. But what does that look like? Well, if you go back over to Ephesians chapter 5, verse 25, listen, let's start with verse 25. He says, Husband, love your wife. So what's the first thing you're supposed to do? You're supposed to love her. You're to give, to, to give himself for her, to sacrifice her. And then he says this, he says, he goes on, and that you might sanctify, verse 26, you might sanctify and cleanse her with the washing of the water by the word. What does that mean? That means that men, as a leader of your home, and the, as a spiritual leader of your home, you have a responsibility to see that your wife moves forward in the Lord. Uh, and to sanctify her. That's what it means, the word sanctify. It means you are responsible for her growing in the Lord. Now, look at this. Look at verse uh, 20, uh, 27. Also, it says simply, this, uh, or excuse me, verse 26, that you are, and, and cleanse her with the washing of water by the Word. What does that mean? The, that you use words. You use words. What does it mean? It says, husband, love your wife. So how do you love her? You express that love. And women are, God has wired, Such a way that they need to hear that they are loved. They need to hear that you say that you love you. I love you. I heard God say, Well, I told her when we got married, I love you. I thought that was enough. No. And how do you do that? This is what Christ loved the church. How did he do it? By the washing of the water. By what? By the word. He wants you to say it. You've got to say it. You've got to say to her that you means you use the words to express your love for her. Now, and, and come on down to verse 33, because then he starts talking about this completeness as far as women are concerned. He said, nevertheless, let each one of you in particular so love his own wife as himself. But then look what he says in this last part, verse 33. Let the wife see that she respects Says husbands love your wife, but it doesn't say husbands wives love your husband. That's, that's not saying that men don't want to hear that you love them. It's not saying that at all. But it's saying that the number one thing that drives their wagon, that drives them to a place that they they, they really want to hear is the fact that you do respect them. And what, is it, what does that mean? It means that, you know, and, and I'm telling you, this is a big thing in men's lives. And, and it means that. that that he knows that you have confidence in him to handle situations in life. Let me say it again. That your husband knows that you have confidence in him to handle situations in life. Now be careful about that. Because of that, here's what you do. You end up submitting to His authority. You submit to authority not because... because you go back over to... Uh, you know, it tells us the wives submit, And then it says, as unto the Lord. So in reality, when we submit, either men or women that submit, and if you'll notice verse 21, it also said that we are as a couple to submit to one another. And so as it says that, it means why do we do that? As unto the Lord. I'm submitting to... Of the Lord, that's why. Thus, he or she uh, is your helpmate and the one who comes alongside to support you. And let's face it, there are times in decision making or opinion that he or she is there for you, so you don't do something stupid. Amen. God gave you a wife when when you want to make some kind of ignoramus decision. Looks at you like you're a nut and says, No, we're not doing that. And there's times that ladies, guys will do the very need to do the very same thing. Your husband in your life needs to tell you time to say no. You know? So speaking without accusing, answering without being angry is the idea. Now here's the fourth thing fruitfulness. Fruitfulness. God commanded his Genesis one twenty eight. He said this. He said be fruitful and multiply. That's what he says. Bear fruit, multiply, increase, and replenish the earth. This is what he's saying. The very nature and the character of God is to multiply life. Whereas the nature and character of Satan is to multiply death. Now here is the thing I want you to understand. When you came to Christ and you surrendered your life to Him, you read over in the book of uh, in the uh, the book of Galatians fruit, not fruit, fruit, singular, fruit, the fruit of the Spirit. When you came to Jesus, the fruit of the Spirit came became yours. It's just like it's just like when you were born in a natural way, you got your, your, your parents, you got your dad's nose, you got your mama's eyes, you got all this stuff, you got brown eyes, you got all this. All that was said before. The same thing happens to us when we come to Christ, all the fruits of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, long-suffering, youngness. Wham! They're inside you. They're there. Now, the degree to which those things are manifested in your life is the degree in which you turn your life over to Christ. If you never, if you don't walk with Him, if you never get in the Word, then and you wonder, so why do I have such a hard time with not having the joy? or because you're not doing the things that God wants you to be? But let me tell you something: He wants those fruits of the Spirit. Grow within you to grow within your wife to grow within you, and I will simply say this to you: there is no fertile ground like marriage for the learning to grow in the Lord and expose the fruits of the Spirit. Marriage is one of the most brutal grounds there is for you to learn how to have be patient, learn how to be faithful, learn how to be, how to have, how to have joy and peace and everything else as a result. And so many times when we talk about what God's Together. He brought you together, and as a result of you coming together, you became one. You became one. I'm asking you this simple question, what is God's will for you as a couple? I, we, there's a lot of us that talk about, well, what's God's will for my life When I should do this? No, I'm asking you as a couple, you're married, what is God's will for you when we talk about the purpose of marriage? For, as a couple, what is But not just, but, but but you know, it's not just the will for God in your life and her life, but what you as a couple, that you and a you as a couple would be a blessing to others because of the relationship that you have with one another. Not because God expected Adam to be so physically strong to take down the devil. No, Adam got in trouble because he allowed something to come into his home and it got to his wife. I'm serious. I, I, I never will forget, I was going on a field trip one time, and uh, uh, this lady was sitting in the seat in the bus. She was driving the bus, and I was taking a bunch of kids by myself. I was taking I, I don't know how I am, 12, 15 kids by myself and taking them to Kentucky Kingdom. Well, this lady, I looked over her and I thought I recognized her. And I said to her, I said, for some reason, she she told me she was. And I said, Oh, yeah, she said, the first church I ever passed her, she said, we used to come to your church and sing. I said, Yeah, I'm that I remember. I said, How are you and her husband? She said, Well, we're divorced. I said, You're divorced. She said, Yeah, we're divorced. She said, I came home, uh, she said, uh, said to me, What are you gonna do about some of these bills? And she said, What are you talking about? I said, we're up to date. She said, No, you're not. She said, What are you gonna do? And they were they were like almost three months behind on the house payments, a couple of months behind uh, on the car payments, and I don't know why and she said, When I finally confronted my husband about this, he was coming home and taking all the he was coming home and taking all the uh, uh, bills and everything every day he was taking his paycheck or his weekly paycheck, whatever it was, he taking his entire paycheck. And he wasn't going to the Red Mile. He was just going to some of these grocery stores that got these scratch off, And he was blowing his entire paycheck on his back. They were completely behind in everything. They had no money. They had to go to the bank and take a second mortgage on She said, I told him, if this happens, Six months later, they were right back in the same place. So I, I'm telling you, he so allowed it to come into his house and it destroyed his house. It, maybe, maybe it's not gambling. Maybe it's maybe it's it's, uh, it's drugs. Or maybe it's pornography. Or maybe it's just financially overspending. I've seen some people that they're not doing anything wrong, but they just buy and buy and buy and buy, and buy until initially. And then they can't afford to pay you know bills. I had a guy call me one time here at the church, and he he said, uh, Lee said uh, said I need I can't pay my rent. I need to pay my rent. And I said, What well, did you get your money? And he said, well, Yeah, I got my money. And I said, well, What did you do with it? He said, I bought a piano. I said, You bought a piano. And I said, Well, can you play? No. And I said, Well. your rent. Well, they won't take it back. You see what I'm saying to you? Satan will get you to make some of the dumbest decisions that there is out there. Don't do that kind of stuff. So I don't know what it is, you know, but but by the same token, you've got to come to the place that you, you know, you don't make dumb decisions. And so it tells me also that a wife is to protect the interest of her home. Titus 2, 4, 5. That they that admonster to love their children, to be discreet, chast homemakers, good, obedient to their own husbands, that the word of God may not be blasphemed. So, why is it to protect the interests of us, the Apostle Paul spends six verses in First Peter, in First Peter chapter one or chapter three, verse one, six, talking to women, and then he used one verse to talk to a guy. Now, me, stay with me. Here. So, here's what he says. Look at verse not let your adornment be merely outward, arranging the hair, wearing a gold, and putting on a fine apparel. Okay? Here's what, it was a lot of women have done this. They've looked at that bird, and they say, okay, I need to get my hair in a bun, and I need to wear my dresses where they're dragging the ground, and, you know, I need to, I, I, you know, I need to do all this kind of stuff. I can't wear any makeup. I had a lady one time get me in front of a Sunday school class, pretty good-sized Sunday school class, said, hey, do you believe women ought That. You know what I'm saying? It doesn't have anything to do with that. So there's people that go around; they don't wear gold, they don't wear all this kind of stuff. But you know, but listen, what it you you got to read on. It says that that he said, you know, that says rather let it be with the hidden person of the heart that the incorruptible be beauty and the gentle and quiet spirit, which is precious in the sight of God. What's he saying? He's saying that when you walk up to somebody, one of the first things that they ought not how you're dressed or with your hair and all this kind of stuff. They ought to see that quiet, gentle spirit that only can come from the Lord coming out in you. That's what they ought to notice. That's the to You He's not telling you not to do all this other stuff that people do to think they're doing what what the Lord wants to do. That's not it. And and there's some people that drive that home. There's preachers that drive that home. He said, but let them notice that incorruptible beauty of a gentle and a quiet spirit. And notice this—it's precious in the sight of God. Is what He says, Christ can only Christ can do that. And then He goes on to say, "Listen to this." He says, "And this—this this is this—actually has a promise with it." What's the promise? Listen, to what it says: "The promise is this: For in this manner, in former times, the holy women who trusted in God also adorned themselves, being submissive to their own husbands, as Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord, whose daughters you." any terror. It says that you are a daughter of Sarah. Why didn't, he, why, didn't he pick out, uh, why didn't he pick out Ruth or why didn't he pick out Mary somewhere? Because here's why. He's saying if you do these things, if you live your life this way, you become a daughter of Sarah. Why would you become a daughter of Sarah? Because Sarah in the Bible is the only one that had her, had her youth rejuvenated. a baby when she was 90 years old. Top that one. She was rejuvenated. And this is what God's saying. He's saying, when you do it my way, your youth will be... And there's something about a woman who lives her life this way that there's just... There's just a... a, a I wish I, could, I... can't. The word I'm looking for, there's just something about her that's so attractive. Not that she's trying to be attractive. and look what it says down here in verse uh, 7, Husband likewise dwell with them with understanding. Now, God says, there's no way you can understand a woman. That's not what the Bible says. It says that you dwell with them with understanding. You dwell with them. Husband likewise dwell with them understanding. Verse 7. And then it goes on to say, and it says giving honor to the weaker vessel. Well, what does that mean? Weaker vessel. Now, you know, of course, there'll be a lot of ladies in, in this culture that we're living in. So, you're telling us we're the weaker vessel. No, that's not what it's like. You, know, and, and, uh, you know, the vessel, what does it mean? It means, and I've told this story before. Kirk and I went one time to Cincinnati, Ohio, and we went to the old train station up there, and they had the auctions and everything else. And we're walking around, and and it, and we and they had all these vases in there. It really weren't vases, they were bosses. And so we went, and I picked up one of them, and I'm just looking at it, holding right. That thing over had the price tag on the box. five thousand dollars for this little bitty bowl. I can go to Walmart and get the same thing for about six bucks. Five thousand dollars for this little bit, but it was a boss. it was a vase, and that's what he's saying here. He's saying you treat your wife not like a vase, you treat her like a boss. You it. If you've got something that's of value to you, you just don't let it go anywhere, send anywhere, whatever. No, you put it up. You protect it because it is value to you. That's what he's trying to say. But I want you to also notice this as he goes on here. You know, But let's face it, physically, men are stronger than women. No, I never thought I'd have to emphasize this, but I am. Listen, physically, men are stronger than women. And so as a result of that, I'm saying, Guy, then, to dress up like a woman and go enter himself into the high jump competition that we're seeing right now. I mean, you know, women's track now has been decimated because all these guys going in want to dress up like a woman and participate in it. And now the women are, you know, you know, the ones that were standing for, you know, uh, the LBGG, whatever they were. trying to say all along. But notice also, it says being heirs together of the grace of life and notice this, it says the last part and this is the God, that you that you dwell with them understanding that you live with them and love them in that way and then it says this, that your prayers may not be hindered. What does that mean? That means she is God's little girl. Sixth and the final thing. And this is the big one that I really want to get into. Because it's, it's simply this. The, the purpose of marriage is to typify Christ in the church. Let me say it again. The purpose of marriage is to typify Christ in the church. To forgive without punishing. To promise without forgetting. To look like Jesus. To be like so marriage is to be the human object lesson of divine revelation between Christ and believers. So he says over here in chapter five of uh, chapter five of, uh, of Ephesians, he says this and starting with verse 30, 31, He says, "For this reason, a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh." Verse thirty two. This is a great mystery, but I speak concerning Christ and the church. And then he goes on, nevertheless. word that I want to finish with and it's found in 1 Peter 3 verse 1. This is what it says. Likewise be submissive to your own husband. I want to talk about the word submit. I want you to go now to Ephesians about the word submit. For many, the word submit means someone who stands over you, dominating the other person. And a lot of women have this idea if they submit and marriage, that means they're barefoot and pregnant, and he controls the remote and all this kind of stuff. That's not it. That's not what the Lord's talking about if He uses the word submission. The Bible is definitive on this. It is love through mutual submission. Love through mutual submission. We come together with all kinds of differences. Let me just say this to you, even those of you who are contemplating marriage. Now listen. If you go into marriage saying that differences are not bad, oh, we, we're just so compatible, But we, we're, we we're just a perfect fit. We have no differences. But if you do that, that those difficulties you have in your life and their life will continue to manifest themselves and keep intruding until eventually it will become unworkable in your life. You go into marriage, you recognize the differences that you have one towards another. We have so many stereotypes that we get into those unrealistic expectations in a marriage. Jesus gives us two examples of what we're to do by submitting. So Philippians 2, 5, 8. Look what it says. Let this mind be in you, which is in Christ Jesus. So, every husband and wife, let this mind be in you, which is also in Christ Jesus. Verse 6. Who being in the form of God, did not consider robbery to be equal with God. But he made himself of no reputation, taking the form of a bond service, and coming in the likeness of men, and being found in the appearance of the Submission didn't hurt the Lord, it won't hurt you. Let me say it again. Submitting to your husband, submitting to your wife, if submission didn't hurt the Lord, it won't hurt you. Jesus was saying, I am equal. Listen to him. I'm equal with God the Father. But I'm laying this that aside when I'm hungry. For myself. And if the Lord. not in the mind of a husband and a wife in your marriage, that you're equal but humbling myself, preferring one another than yourself. Then you and your mate, you're going to clash. But this is all about, in your marriage and everything, this is all about Romans 6-11. What does it say? Reckoning yourself dead unto sin, but alive unto God. You're continually dying to self. And so we read in Ephesians 5, we see that Jesus is dying. so, so in in, in Ephesians 5, we see Jesus that he's dying. He's the head of the church. He's, he's, he's dying to save his bride and watching her to make her perfect and taking responsibility for her. I think when you realize that this is the submission the Bible is talking about, that each person gets to play the role of Jesus in the marriage. It's not like, okay, I'll tell you what, you're going to be the leader this week and I'll be the leader next week. I will I'll submit to you this week and you submit to me. That's not it. What the way the Bible's talking about that each person in the in the marriage gets to play that, that role, but in order for this to, to take place, you must have a leader. Somebody's got to assume the role of leadership. For if you don't, then no one has the opportunity. If there's no leader, nobody has the opportunity to submit. Does that make sense? Somebody's got to do it. And Ephesians five twenty three says the husband is the head of the wife, but we're both to serve one another and be served. So headship and Submission were established before there was a God. There's a great example of this, I think. You know who Elizabeth Elliot is? Elizabeth Elliot was, I think, one of the last. I think one of the last books I read. I was wrong Written a lot of books. Elizabeth Elliot. Basically, what they were doing, they were, they were, you know, causing their own lives to stuff to be extinct. We're going to be gone if they hadn't gone. So these five guys go in there. Well, these natives come along and they kill all five of those men, including Elliott's husband Ken. And when they do that, uh, there's a great movie. If you ever, I don't know if you've ever seen this movie, The End of the Spear. That's where that's what it's about. And if you haven't seen it, get it and watch it. But Elizabeth Elliot then decides, after her husband, is dead, to go back into that jungle, go back where those those same people that killed her husband were, and become try to make contact with them. Well, you talk about saving! And she goes back, and she wins that whole tribe over to Jesus. In fact, they came, and they were, back. and then the the one, they called him grandfather, the one that was the leader of that tribe that actually killed the mission, that had a hand in killing the mission. Baptized her son. That's unbelievable. So Elizabeth Elliot, from that time on, you know, she had, she had, uh, you know, after she had done all that, she she remarried years later to a man by the name of Lars Green, G R E N, Lars Green. And someone said of her and her new relationship with her, and her husband, says when you look at them. So much more educated than he is, than Lars. She's been a missionary, she's been a writer and a conference speaker. Since Lars basically is her assistant. He made all the flight arrangements, he makes all the hotel arrangements, and carried the books into the conference place, he carries the tables in the conference He was more or less her assistant. Because she is the one with all the experience, not him. But people said. Who know them say that when you go out to dinner with them, there is no question whatsoever that she looks to him as head of her family. Lars was her spiritual head, even though she outclassed him in every different area. She allows him to submit herself to him. You know, in business, if you're if you're the boss. leader, you're going to say, I'm turning the finances on you, because that person can use her gifts. It's the same thing in marriage. If you allow each one of you, and you know, you know Cricket does all our bills and does all that kind of stuff. And one, she's better at it. And there's other things. Is allowed to use your gifts on what they're best at. But this is another reason why you just can't marry anybody. But somebody who understands the roles of leadership. And this is 2 Corinthians 6, 484 yards. If you do, if you do, you will not accomplish the things that God has for you unless he and she turns to Christ. See, I'm, I'm trying to come to, I'm trying to finish here, but I'm trying to get you to see the purpose of why you got married. It wasn't just so that you a bigger purpose here. So does the Bible just spell out our roles? Yes and no. Why? Because marriage is loving a person so much that you're willing to submit. This is authority without authoritarianism and our dictatorship. When we give ourselves to God, we find find ourselves so the real mission of marriage, some would say compatibility, what they're talking about is finding a person who doesn't make me Someone said we always marry the wrong person. What that means is the moment you get married, both change and you change each other. So let me say this. My wife has been married to five different men. And they've all been me. The Bible says in Proverbs 27 17 that iron sharpens iron. You know, and now we always use that men getting together. Boy, they're going to do this. Men. Let me me just say to you, but if there's one verse that I think speaks to marriage more than anything else, listen to what it says in Ephesians 4.15. But speaking the truth in love may grow up into all things into him who is in the head of Christ. Let me read it again. Ephesians 4.15. But speaking the truth in love may grow up into all things into him who is the head of Christ. That's the idea of marriage. That we speak the truth in love, growing up into all things. To him, who's the head of Christ? What does that mean? Well, God has a main purpose in marriage, and here it is. This is it. If you only speak in truth, then here's what you're going to do. If you and in, in not in love, then you're going to destroy one another. Well, I just tell him what it's like. I just say this one. and I hear, I hear Christians all the time. You know that God has not taken control over their mouth yet. I just say what I want to say. I can spend another hour on something like that, but I'm not going to. Talk but so destroy. But if you. Speak in love without truth, because you don't want to upset them or the other person. Then there won't be any change or for the better at all. So it's truth and love, truth and love, or love and truth. There's never just one without the other. And so if I go back there, but speaking the truth and love may grow up in all things unto Him who is the head of Christ. You and your mate are heading towards a great horizon. Listen to me. You and your wife or your husband are heading towards a great horizon. And you see where God is taking your wife or your husband. You look at your wife and you see where God's taken her. You see where God is taking your husband. That means that you and your spouse are moving more and more towards that horizon where God wants each person to be. Where God wants you to be. So as a couple, are you committed to Christ's mode and as men, the spiritual leader in your family, are you committed to the leadership the way that Christ led? So here you are as a couple. Watch this. Don't, don't don't go to sleep on me yet. So, so here is a couple moving toward that horizon, two Christians, that someday, listen to this, someday you and your spouse will be in front of the throne of God, and you'll be looking at each other, and you will say, I always knew you could be like always knew you could be like this. I saw glimpses of it. I saw flashes of it. But now I look at you, standing in front of the throne of God, and now I look at you, look at you, and look at the beauty you have now. And we'll feel that it's the greatest thing that ever happened to us outside of knowing Jesus. Marriage is that we are participating in this incredible experience in that process of bringing that other person that we love to all that he or she should be in Jesus Christ. And that's the purpose of marriage. The hope of that and the glory of that should invigorate you right now. And that the ultimate purpose of marriage, marriage is one of the greatest things in the Bible. It's The Bible opens with marriage and it closes with marriage. So what's the purpose of marriage?